Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Oh, thank you, Father, for making this possible. Thank you for giving us wisdom, discernment, opening our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Thank you, Father. Amen. We're going to continue today with Walk in Heavenly Places by Faith, number four. Okay, we're going to call this first revelation, Woolly Sheep. This was given to Samuel Fire, 2.16.23. I saw a sheep with very long wool. He was very proud of his wool and was showing it off uh, to other sheep. The other sheep said to him that there is no good use for the long wool, and it only has uh, negative aspects for sheep. I then saw a shepherd uh, preparing to shear the wool off, a long white wool sheep. This sheep was squirming and kicking and making noise, but after the wool was removed, the sheep jumped up and just walked around as though nothing was wrong. With the excess wool cut off, The heat and the relief were almost instant. The sheep was much happier now that the wool had been removed. Well, Romans 8, 17 through 19 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified with him. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed to usward. For the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the revealing of the sons of God. Well, it's obvious now that that the wool represented the outer man that was decaying so that the inner man could be seen. And uh, the outer man is the flesh. The wool is the flesh. Uh, don't People don't like to lose their flesh, but when they do, they feel so much better. <laughs> then I realized how that the long wool represents our flesh and self that needs to be cut off. As a sheep cannot cut off the excess wool themselves, nor can we die to self without the help and direction of the Lord, also like how... Uh, The sheep did not enjoy the wool shearing. It's just the same as it is with our adjustments and procrastination uh, in adhering to the Lord and being obedient, because being obedient is your cross in the midst of troubles and tribulations, right? It takes until we realize after that the Lord has a perfect plan for all of us. Philippians 3 and 8. 
Yea, verily, and I count all things to be lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse, that I may gain Christ. So the wool is of use for the shepherd. It's of use to be cut off, right? Uh, but not for the sheep. It burdens us down, it puts us under pressure, so on and so forth. So, our lives are for Christ, not for ourselves. And we are here to die. We are here to lose our life. Okay, this one is called, uh, Leave the Old Man Behind, Reynaldo Portella. In a dream, I was in my grandmother's house, and a woman with a baby needed a ride. So I helped her. Well, the grandmother's house probably represents the original old gospel. And we are here to help the woman, uh, which is the church, uh, in the wilderness journey to bring forth the fruit of Christ. The baby, right? Jude 3, Beloved, while I was giving all diligence to write unto you of our common salvation, I was constrained to write unto you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. In other words, we're supposed to have that faith back there that was first given unto us. It was an eternal covenant. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. So therefore, you must go back to it. Uh, religion is a waste of time. Also, uh, Revelation 12, 1 and 2 says, And a great sign was seen in heaven, a woman arrayed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child. And she crieth out, travailing in birth and in pain to be delivered. And the woman fled into the wilderness. That's down in verse 6. Where she hath a place prepared of God, that there they may nourish her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Mm-hmm. Okay. When we arrived at the woman's destination, that's the wilderness tribulation, we uh, saw a tall, very dark man. I couldn't see his face. He was like a shadow and very tall, like uh, 15 or 20 feet. Well, the dark man probably represents the old man who walks in darkness and in the ways of the world. The flesh seems like a giant to conquer. But we are assured by faith that we can conquer the enemy of our souls. We believe Jesus already accomplished this for us. Amen. And uh, Matthew 4 and 16 says, The people that sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them that sat in the region and shadow of death, to them did light spring up. In John 8 and 12, Again, therefore, Jesus spoke unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. By the way, put the Word of God in your heart, and you'll have the light of life, right? You just walk according to your carnal mind, and you will miss out on a lot and may miss heaven itself. 
John 12 and 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me may not abide in the darkness. Mm -hmm. He said, come with me, that this big tall man, dark man, come with me. Maybe if I go with you, he will forget me. In other words, if we walk after the flesh, we must die. The flesh wants you to forget it. Don't worry about it. Don't crucify it. Uh, And so on. I said, no, I don't want to go. I'm afraid. He said, come with me. So I went with him. And I remember it was a beautiful flat land with grass and a little a little house in the middle. I believe the small house represents losing the flesh. Right. The tall man came off the bus with me, shouting, Please, as in, forget me. <laughs> get your, in other words, get your mind off of the flesh. We know it's an enemy, but get your mind off of the flesh. Right. So this means, let me live. Right. Let me live. Again, he said, please forget me. Nobody opened the door, so he said, I don't need you. And he departed and left me there. Well, when we don't feed the flesh by walking with it, it will grow weak and die. And when we resist the devil, he will flee. Amen? Well, after he left, Jesus opened the door. And he was dressed in very bright white clothes. So instead of the old man there, you traded him in for Jesus. And he told me, I'll always love you. And I felt so safe with him, I stayed. <laughs> uh, so, so we're to forget the old man and the past life and continue in our crucified walk with Jesus, right? But not forget it the way he wants you to forget it. He wants you to forget he's around and don't think about that. That's not a problem, you know. But we're here to die. And that's what he doesn't like about this, right? Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. This is our faith, and this is how it works. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. So we call this next revelation here, Fight Together. Sandy Shaw, 8 5, 15. They thought they got rid of Sandy, but nope, you can see she's still around doing her job. Man, those devils did everything they could to take her out, right? So this is a parable of the brethren learning to fight together against the enemy and finding out that they have total authority through the Word of God. I had a dream where I was an observer of a big battlefield with a war going on. It was so noisy that I couldn't hear anyone talk. People had to shout. I heard cannons and grenades going off and a lot of rapid gunfire. Flaming arrows were being shot, probably indicating the fiery darts of the evil one uh, fired into our thought life that has to be quenched. And this is also the words and actions of his duped vessels of dishonor. 
the zombie apocalypse is real. <laughs> yes, we have seen the walking dead who claim to be Christians but walk in all sin and, and war with witchcraft against their brothers and are as Esau who sold his birthright. Yes. And then I heard, man down, man down. Someone was shouting. In other words, somebody was wounded in the battle, right? I then looked to my left and saw a body on the ground. And running to the body from the right side was Greg. I then noticed it was uh, Brandy who was down. And Greg put his hands on his chest and started praying in tongues and commanded Brandy to get up. And Brandy started moaning and groaning and didn't open his eyes. Then I heard another voice saying, Get off of me. I said, Get off me. Uh, recognizing uh, spiritual attacks and realizing that authority must be taken over the enemy, right? And I recognized that voice was Bill's. Greg ran to Bill, who was holding his uh, left leg, and he put his hand on the injured leg and said, Get up, brother, you are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 By whose stripes you were healed. It's beyond the point of you have to talk God into it. It's done. You were healed. They both ran back to Brandy and laid hands on him and prayed in the Spirit. Matthew 18 and 19. Again, I say unto you, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. So more fiery arrows were trying to hit Brandy because he was uh, the th he was the target. Uh, then Greg and Bill commanded off, off, off as they used their hands like shields to block the arrows. Ephesians 6 and 13. Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and to having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. With all taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. You have to have that. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take it. Take it. Second Corinthians 10 and 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty before God to casting down of strongholds. That's strongholds of the enemy. Many times are in your mind, right? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now that's the cross, right? Bill said, Come on, Brandy, open your eyes so you can see what God is doing. Well, this was back in 2015, of course, and uh, Brandy sees much better today than most through through all the practice that he gets, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and he opened his eyes and got up. So we are to see Father 
uh, has already given us the victory. Yeah, this is what you have to see. Second Peter 1 and 2. Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And Mark 11 and 24. Therefore, I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them. That's what it says in the original. Numerics. And you shall have them. You believe you've received it. Therefore, the the trouble is over. From now on, you just don't walk by sight. You walk by faith. Now, here it is. Verse 3. Seeing that his divine power hath, that's past tense, granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue. You need to know this. It's already been given to you. Whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. And that's how you do it. You you hold on to those promises that when you look at them, you say, this hasn't happened yet. But it has, because they're all past tense. So, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. And uh, exercising the authority of our God-given divine nature over the enemies of our soul. So at the same time, they said, come on, let's get out of here. And Greg jumped up and shouted, no, we can't. We're in the midst of the storm. <clears throat> Meaning, of course, uh, we can't run from the battle that God has ordained for us to come to the end of ourselves and conquer the enemy. Amen. Everybody wants to run from it, right? So we have uh, we have the victory and we are victorious, he shouted, with everything he had. Yes, we have the victory, and we're victorious. You need to remember that. In the midst of the trial, stand by the promises, right? Second Corinthians 2 and 14. But thanks be unto God who always leadeth us in triumph to celebrate the victory. That's what triumph means, celebration of the victory. Even before we see it, we celebrate it because it's promised. So, in Christ, of course, to those who have faith in His Word, right? And and maketh manifest through us the savor of His knowledge in every place. So, that's what they were doing. They were speaking out, you know, the knowledge of the victory that we have, so on. Luke 10 and 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Well, there was no shaking these guys. They knew that they knew that they knew they needed each other working as one with their commander-in-chief. In other words, listening to the Word of God, Jesus Christ, right? Then, very softly in the background, I heard a song. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Sorry, I don't know the tune. You might as well get Behind me, Satan, you will not prevail, for Jesus never fails. (laughs) And that's who lives in you, you see, so you can do this. So we have these awesome promises in, uh, in Psalm 91. 
Psalm 91, I'm going to start in verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. That's not automatic. That's because you believe, right? You're believing what He says, right? And verse 5, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. For the pestilence that walketh in darkness, don't be afraid. You're inviting it if you are afraid. Uh, fear is faith in reverse, right? Nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it will not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Well, obviously it will take out the wicked, and the wicked are, of course, those that don't believe. You have to believe what God says, not what religion says, or whatever, or your eyes say. And down in 13, it says, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent shalt thou trample underfoot. Okay, we call this a diet of spiritual food. Elena Timoshuk, 624-21. I dreamt I was at my old uh, diet coach's house. I say old as in she's not my diet coach anymore. She's actually uh, young age-wise. Well, we have a diet of spiritual food that we partake of by consuming the Word of God that teach or coach us of His ways, uh, which are from of old. Right? The old house. In reality, she had a baby girl about a week after I had my daughter, Abigail. In my dream, she had her three days before I gave birth to Abigail. Anyway, I was with her in her kitchen, and she was getting ready to leave to go with her husband somewhere. As she was going, or as she was getting ready, She grabbed a bowl and a spoon to feed her daughter, Sophia. I was so shocked because I knew Sophia was Abigail's age and couldn't be more than three months old, and her mom was already feeding her solids. (laughs) So I asked her, are you really going to let her eat that solid food? And when, uh, when was she born? She replied calmly, April the 9th. Yeah, I feed her solids all the time now. She loves it. I looked at her baby and was completely mystified. This baby looked like she was one year old. And she was so big. Well, I think the moral of the story is that if we come as a child, we can eat solid food. When so-called grown-ups can't. Have you known people that sat in the church for 40, 50 years, you know, and they haven't grown at all? In fact, they've regressed, right? Hebrews 5 and 12. For when by reason of the time you ought to be teachers, you have need again that someone teach you the rudiments of the first principles of the oracles of God and are become as such as have need of milk and not of solid food. Hebrews 5 and 14, but solid food is for full-grown men, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. 
we must discern truth from error by believing all of the Word, and not adding to it, not taking from it, right? After her mom finished feeding her, the baby got up and started walking. <laughs> Again, I was so shocked and exclaimed to her, She can walk already? She's not even three months old. And her mom just kind of looked at me and at her and shrugged her shoulders like it was just so normal that this baby can walk. Well, her husband came home and grabbed the car seat with the baby and started talking to his wife in Russian. This also surprised me because he himself is an American, but she is Russian. And he was talking to her so fluently and without an accent. I thought to myself, how did he learn to speak her language so well? Well, we need to learn how to speak the language of the people of God, right? They all went to the front door and were about to leave, and I was just standing in the living room watching them, so surprised by all that I had seen. Then she turned to me with a big smile and said, Well, we're leaving, so you can stay here if you want, or you can leave when you're ready. And they all went out the door. And I'm thinking, uh, that was kind of a hint. Uh, you can leave that old life behind and all those presuppositions behind and just do what you're supposed to do, which is eat the Word of God, the good solid food, right? So we've had other dreams where the man-child will grow up and mature very quickly. Um, even our personal man-child, which is Christ in us, can grow quickly if we feed him the spiritual food. He's the spiritual man. He needs the spiritual food, right? All right, we call this one uh, Crucify Him Afresh. Marie Kelton, 924-21. During the morning meeting at Debbie's house, I asked the Lord about sending me a husband. Even though he told me uh, multiple times that he was he was my husband. Isaiah 54 and 5. For thy maker is thy husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is thy Redeemer. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. Well, you know what? He is the husband because he sows the righteous seed that brings forth that righteous uh, child. That uh, born again man on the inside, right? So the Lord gave me an open vision of him kneeling between two Roman soldiers. Jesus had cuts on him. He didn't have a shirt on, just an undergarment. And his head was hanging down, and he had a crown of thorns on his head. I was in a crowd with a bunch of others, people uh, looking at what was going on. I then walked up to Jesus and put my hand on his shoulder and fell to my knees. Jesus lifted his head and looked at me. His eyes held so much sadness. And I heard the words, Crucifying the Son of God afresh. Then I started crying and repenting and telling the Lord that I didn't want to crucify him afresh. That comes from Hebrews 6, 4-6. through 6. Um, for as touching those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and made partakers of the Holy Spirit 
and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then fell away, it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh. See, Jesus is coming to life in you. And you may have learned things back when about Jesus' life in you, but you departed from them. And, and now he's not coming to life, he's dying, you see, because you're not feeding him. And you put him to an open shame, it says. As I was looking at his eyes and holding his face, I turned into a he turned into a lion with a huge mane, the Lion of Judah. And his eyes no longer held any sadness in them. Oh, that's, um, hmm. you know, he's about to come as a lion and he will judge those who persecute their brothers, uh, who end up being his chosen, by the way. The persecuted ones are the chosen, not the persecutors, right? Mm-hmm. Coming as a lion. Watch out. Well, we, we call this one the handmaiden cannot bear the fruit of Christ. Winnie Asagata, twelve twenty six, twenty one. I dreamed that I really wanted to buy bread, and I was looking for somewhere to purchase it. I entered a store owned by an Orthodox Hasidic Jewish man, and I went all the way to the back of the store to get the bread, located on the left in a glass refrigerator. And when the Jewish man saw me, he said, Get out of here. In this man's eyes, I was a Gentile and did not belong there. There were two other Jewish women there as well that seemed kind. One of the women had smiled at me uh, when I walked in, but it was the man who rudely told me to leave. As I left the store, I walked away. I saw that one of the Jewish women left the store as well and walked down the street with me. I began to speak with her and ask her about her situation, and she seemed to be very sad. She was trapped but wanted to be free. Well, believing in Jesus Christ is the only way of being free from religion and all bondage which, of course, that's what the law is, right? The young Jewish woman and I entered into a public restroom, and she began to cry because she desperately desired to have children. She told me that she could not have children because she was branded an inshallah. She uh lowered her pants to show me where she was uh, branded, which was below her belly button. And this is where the womb is located. She was branded all around this area, and it even went towards the back. This branding was there so that she could not have children, and so that she would be separated from the other women. Well, um, this branding is like a curse on her womb, spiritually speaking, and a stigma of disapproval. You know, the law cannot bring forth the fruit of Christ. And uh, at this point, when I looked back up at her, I realized she was wearing a red cloak. 
Then the young Jewish woman said she needed to hold her form until she finally had a husband. Well, of course, that means that she could not become pregnant and get very big until marriage, right? Okay. So you, the law won't do this. It won't bring forth this fruit. That's what God is saying here. The only thing that will bring forth this fruit is to have the seed of Christ, uh, the parable of the sower, sowed into your heart to bring forth Christ himself because it's his seed, right? Although I am not certain what she meant, I felt sorry for her and I desired for her to be free. I entered a cafeteria and began to tell someone else the problem that this woman was having. The cafeteria, of course, where you get good food, right? Spiritual food in this case. I noticed a man with very dark hair who was facing left and taking notes. Uh-oh, what's he doing there? This man was also a Jew, and I realized that he was eavesdropping so that he could report the young Jewish woman and hinder her from leaving and becoming free. Yes, indeed. The verse that came to me regarding this man was Galatians 2 and 4. And that because of the false brethren privily brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. Because it is liberty. It's liberty from the law. That they might bring us into bondage. Yes, that's true. They want to keep you under the law. But uh, the Christ delivers you from being under the law. You fulfill the law. That's different. And you don't do it because you're under the law. You do it because of grace, because you have faith in what Jesus did, right? I woke up shortly after this, and I immediately thought of Sarah versus Hagar. I decided to look up the word that was branded on the young woman, which was Inshallah. And I had never heard the word before. I found out that Shalah is a special bread of Ashkenazi Jewish origin which I thought was uh, pretty spot on regarding the dream. Okay. Uh, the word in my dream is a mixture of shalah as well as inshallah, which is a phrase that Muslims use, which means, if God wills. Muslims, just like Jews, are under law and religious spirits. Yes, and neither one of them can bear the fruit of Christ. Okay because you think it's something you have to do, you have to do, to bring forth the fruit of Christ. It's something He has already done. That's the difference. So many religious people don't know and understand what the will of God is, because they are not eating the bread of life for themselves, but buying bread in the form of all kinds of books in apostate religions that do not satisfy them spiritually. Amen. I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random and received Isaiah 55, 2 to 3, for context. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Yeah, well, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give, right? And so all the people that are hirelings out there, you know, they want to charge you for what they do. And your labor... Uh, for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. 
Incline your ears and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. An everlasting covenant. Some people think, this part's no good anymore. It, that passed away with the apostles. And this part's no, no good anymore. And that part, but basically they cut out anything supernatural about Christianity. And uh, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. I thought it was amazing that I landed on verse 2 regarding spending money for that which is not bread. Yeah. And Ashkenazi uh, bread is probably not kosher, actually, because Ashkenazi is not a physical Jew, right? So the next morning on the morning prayer meeting, Amber received Galatians 4, and I knew the Lord was speaking to me. I don't remember the exact verse she landed on, so I will share the chapter. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem them that were under the law. See, if you're under the law, you need redemption. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Hmm. Tell me, ye that... This is verse 21, by the way. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the handmaid and one by the free woman. Howbeit the son of the handmaid is born after the flesh. Yes, he was. That was all their plan, their plot, their scheme. Man's works, right? They brought forth an Ishmael, right? But the son of the free woman is born through promise. So she got a promise to bear fruit. And ultimately they believed that promise, and they bore the fruit of the promised child, which is like Christ in you, right? Which things contain an allegory, for these women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai, that was the, the law that was given to Israel, remember? Bearing children unto bondage, which is Hagar. Now he's comparing Sinai to Hagar. Wait a minute, that doesn't, in the letter that doesn't look right. But the Jewish law came from <clears throat> Sinai. But the new covenant is a better covenant based on better promises, we're told. It's verse 25. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Well, in the natural, that don't seem right. And answereth to the Jerusalem that now is. Well, look at the Jerusalem that now is. Is there anything Christian about that? Oh, no, actually, no. <laughs> For she is in bondage with her children. So the Jews are in bondage, and they're considered to be Hagar's here. So those under the law are under a covenant that no longer exists. For we were given a new covenant. And that covenant was, quote, done away in Christ. Can you read? <laughs> but the Jerusalem that is above is free, which is our mother. So, well, our mother is the heavenly Jerusalem that is born from above. That's right. Read about the Philadelphia church, the one that stood out. Actually, she represents the bride. And... uh 
She was this born from above church, the New Jerusalem. And not the unregenerate Jerusalem over there that's under the law. Some people make that holy. It's not holy. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For more are the children of the desolate than of her that hath the husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. Ah, had to be a supernatural work there by God to bring forth that child, right? But the Ishmael, nope, that was their plan. We'll help you out, God. <laughs> um, 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, so also it is now. Howbeit, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the handmaid and her son, who they're now saying is, is natural Israel under the law, or even uh, some people who call themselves Christians being under law. Same thing, same thing. Cast out the handmaid and her son, for the son of the handmaid shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Tremble to go under the law. Wherefore, brethren, we are not children of the handmaid, but of the free woman. Yep, talk yourself into it. Okay, I'm just going to share a little bit on law and grace here. Galatians 3, 1 through 19. O foolish Galatians, who did bewitch you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was openly set forth crucified? This only would I learn from you, received you the Spirit by the works of law, or by the hearing of faith. Now, I said that right. The works of law. The was not in there. There's no numeric pattern in it whatsoever. So, um, in this text, I crossed, I crossed through that because it's not there in the original. Because there are laws that are not the law of the Old Covenant that still separate people from God. They're religious rules and regulations that they put on you that have no resemblance to anything in the Scripture even. Yeah, watch out for those. Or by the hearing of faith. How did you get there? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? No, you heard faith and you got a born-again spirit and you are a different person from that point on. It had nothing to do with the law. I used a strike-through to remove the in some places in this text, where it was not there in the Greek. And there's a reason for this. This is because many times man makes laws which we cannot be justified by either. Verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now perfected in the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it indeed is in vain? He therefore that supplieth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law? Well, no. When Jesus came, guess what? He was the new covenant. And all the people under the law, were they having miracles? Well, no. They weren't. Doeth he it by the works of law? The was not there. So it could be a law of man or a law of God, but it still separates you from grace. Or so doeth he it by the works of law or by the hearing of faith. Hmm. 
even as Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. Know therefore that they that are of faith the same are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. That's in the new born-again Abraham, right? Not the Ishmael Abraham. So then, they that are of faith are blessed with the faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of <clears throat> law, again, I put a strike through on thee here because it's not there in the original. They thought they were going to help God. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> as many as are of the works of law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. That, now, the book of the law here is being used as a type. And he's saying, okay, you want to pick out the Sabbath? Well, did you keep the Sabbath sabbatical year? Well, no. Well, then you didn't keep the Sabbath. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we'll pick this out. We're righteous because we do this. And everybody else is wrong because they don't do this. Well, then you've got to keep the rest of it. Okay. Come out from among them. You can be saved by grace. And you can go to the throne of God by grace. But by your works, you're never going to make it. So, uh, cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Now that no man is justified by law, again, the is struck through here because it's not there. Before God is evident, for the righteous shall live by faith. And the law, now this is the law. This is supposed to be there. The the is there here in this one. And the law is not of faith, but he that doeth them shall live in them. And that don't matter whether you're a Gentile having no rights to the, the law or whether you're a Jew that was raised up in the law that passed away in Christ. Try to keep a covenant that does not exist while you depart from the covenant that does exist. Does that make sense? No. How could we be under the curse of the law if we never knew what it said? If we never knew what it said. Romans 5 and 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the likeness of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. What was Adam's transgression? He knew the law. Don't partake of the fruit of the tree. That was his law. Very simple. And he broke it. <laughs> so, we didn't know the law and don't sin after Adam's transgression. And also, the law covenant wasn't made with us. It was made with the Jews. But people are guilty by their breaking their conscience. That's God's uh, moral law is your conscience. You train it by knowing what is good and bad, right? 
Uh, Romans 2 and 12 says, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned under the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Okay. Verse 14. For when Gentiles that have not the law do by nature the things of the law, these not having the law are the law unto themselves. In other words, just doing what's right and not doing what's wrong. Right? They have a conscience. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness therewith, and their thoughts one with another, accusing or else excusing them. Yeah, so uh, obey your conscience. You have to obviously train your conscience of what's good and what's bad. You have to do that, and you have to do that with the New Testament because the Old Covenant doesn't count. Now, there's many moral things you can see in the Old Covenant, and as you can see, we we quite often quote from the Old Covenant, because there, but there's a different relationship there, you see. So back to Galatians 3 and 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse, curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So God took our curse and put it upon Jesus. And if you believe that, you get that. That's better than trying to keep the law. Wow, is it ever. That's why it's called the good news, right? That upon the Gentiles might come the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men though it be but a man's covenant. Yet when it hath been confirmed, no one maketh it void or addeth thereto. You better not add to the word of the Lord. Right. Verse 16. Now to Abraham were the promises spoken and to his seed. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. So the promise was to Abraham, and to Christ. Oh. Now this I say, a covenant confirmed beforehand by God, the law, and that is the law there, which came 430 years after, does not, it says disannul, but you can take that dis and strike through that too, because that was old English. It's uh, doth not annul, so as to make the promise of none effect. So there is uh, the Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. The law was just a temporary thing, according to the Scriptures, until the seed should come to whom the promise is due. And the seed was Jesus Christ. So if the promise was to Jesus Christ, how do we get it? We abide in Him. Just as all those who abide who abided <laughs> uh, in Adam died when he died, all those who abide in Christ are alive because of his resurrection life. Yeah. Colossians 2 and 14, having blotted out the bond written in ordinances that was against us. Oh, they love that bond of ordinances. They just love to slave away. I'm good because I'm doing all this, you know, which was contrary to us, it says. 
And he hath taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Having despoiled the principalities and powers because they had authority over you because you kept breaking the law you thought you were under. <laughs> and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He uh, triumphed over the law. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath day, which are a shadow of the things to come. They're just a shadow. They're not the real thing. The New Testament is the real thing. Okay? The law was to show you you can't keep a law and you'll break it every time. <laughs> and so God gave grace under the New Testament, which is a better covenant with better promises. So that was just a shadow. You think you can go back and keep the shadow and be okay with God? No. No. But the body is Christ. belongs to Him. He will work in you to willing to do of His good pleasure. Galatians 3 and 18. For if the inheritance is of uh, the law, and, and the is right here, it is no more of promise. But God hath granted it to Abraham by promise. What then is the law? And this is correct too. Uh, it was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise hath been made. So, the law was a meantime thing. It was meant to pass away, as we can see here clearly. Uh, and it did. Till the seed should come. That's when it passed away. Okay. To whom the promise hath been made, it was ordained through angels by the hand of a mediator. Hmm. In Galatians 4 and 21, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, and that is true, uh, do you not hear the law? And yes, the is there on that one. Galatians uh, 5, 1 through 6. For freedom did Christ set us free. Oh, being free from the law is, wow, that's awesome. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. In other words, don't go back under the law, you Galatians. What are you doing there? Yeah? Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, if... If you receive circumcision, Christ will profit you nothing. Yea, I testify, testify again to every man that receiveth circumcision that he's a debtor to do the whole law. Okay, you think you're going to be justified by circumcision? You better go back and keep the rest of it too. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. So there's some Christians that say they're, um, they're, they're still under the law. He said, you're severed from Christ, you that would be justified by the law. You are fallen away from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything or uncircumcision, but faith working through love. You see, God gives it freely through grace. It's unmerited, unearned. He gives it freely through grace. But you can't get it through the law. That's what he's trying to tell you. You can't do it that way because then you're picking yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> James two seventeen through 26 says, Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. 
So when you got faith, you're going to have works because God gives you the gift to do that. Yea, a man will say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith apart from thy works, and I by my works will show thee my faith. You know, a person that gets that knows they're healed already at the cross, they just act differently. There's no fear on them. There's no uh, remorse on them. There's no, how am I going to get healed? Uh, because they already know the gospel that you were healed. See, it's rest. It's peace. I'll show you my works by my faith. Okay, thou uh, believest that God is one, thou doest well. The demons also believe and shudder. It doesn't save them, though. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith apart from works is barren? In other words, it won't bear the fruit of Christ. Was not Abraham our father justified by works, and that he offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Thou seest that faith wrought with his works. He had faith. He said, I and the lad go to yonder mountain and shall return. (laughs) And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that by works a man is justified, and not only by faith. And in like manner was not also Rahab the harlot justified by works, in that she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? What is he talking about here? By grace have you been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works. That's man's works. For in Christ Jesus were you created for good works. That's God's works through you. That's how you arrive at God's works. You see. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, even so faith apart from works is dead. So if you've got faith, it's going to show up in your actions. When you've got faith, God gives you power to be an overcomer. When we act on our faith, we see miracles. Like Jesus did back there in the midst of a bunch of religious people who had none. Romans four thirteen through 5 and 4. For not through the law, the is crossed through there because it's not in the original, was the promise to Abraham or to his seed. But, well, because Abraham didn't have the law. You couldn't put the there. He didn't have the law, right? So, and it was to his seed that he should be heir of the world through the righteousness of faith. He believed, and the seed that he brought forth spread all over the world. You know, And uh, we are that seed when we walk by faith, and it's all over the world. That's where the kingdom is. That's where the kingdom people are. No, not them that are under the law. They're not the kingdom people. They kept on under a law that was uh, done away, quote, in Christ. It was a meantime thing until the seed should come to whom the promise was due, which was Jesus. And now we enter into our covenant by faith in Him, and we abide in Him. So we're in Him, keeping the law, keeping the law of grace, right? Um but through the righteousness of faith. 
For if they that are of uh, the, is crossed through here, uh, of the law are heirs, faith is made void. The promise is made of none effect. The law worketh wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there transgression. So all those rules and regulations that all had a symbolism, they were a uh, shadow. The Sabbath was a shadow of the real Sabbath, which is every day ceasing from your works, not just one day a week. Okay, it's a shadow. If you keep the shadow, you're not getting the fulfillment of the shadow. For this cause it is of faith that it may be according to grace, to the end that the promise may be sure to all of the seed, not to that only which is of the law. And that is the law. But to that uh, also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made thee, before him whom he believed, even God, who giveth life to the dead, and calleth the things that are not as though they were. Were. You were healed. You were delivered. You were provided for. Were. Turn around and look at the cross. That's where it was done, right there. You're not trying to talk God into nothing. You're trying to talk yourself into something. Go back and see it was already done. Who in hope believed against hope to the end that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken, so shall thy seed be. And without being weakened in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead, he being about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Wherefore also it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. Wow. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was reckoned unto him, but for our sake also unto whom it shall be reckoned, who believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, and who delivered who was delivered up for our trespasses, and was raised for our justification. So you're justified because Jesus resurrected, and you were in Him. The seed of the Word was in Him, which He sowed into our minds, and brought forth the fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Being therefore justified by faith, that means accounted righteous by your faith, not by your works, because you're not going to make it that way. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have had our access by faith into this grace, that's unmerited favor, unearned favor. You're earning it under the law, by the way. Wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh steadfastness, and steadfastness approvedness, and approvedness hope. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to cut it off there, but I need to go further. <laughs> All right, well, the Lord bless you, saints, and thank you so much for your goodness and uh, your mercy and your grace in Jesus Christ. It's, it's been given to you by Him, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Thank <laughs> you.
Let's go to the Lord. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask and I pray that today that we receive the word of God into our hearts so that it can give root to the seed so we can bear the fruit that you want us to bear, Lord. And Lord, we love you and love to read your word. We want to know, Lord, what it is to be righteous, what it is to be truly born again in spirit, soul, and of course, ultimately body. And Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ. Because I want to be able to look in the mirror and see nothing but Jesus. And that's how he wants us to do it, is by faith. And we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name for this wonderful word today. And let it be a blessing to everyone out there. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I want to talk about receiving the end of your faith. So let's start out by looking at uh, what Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat, well, that word begat be born again or born from on high, us again unto a living hope. We were born again into a living hope. And when we were first born again, it was our spirit that was born again. The soul is born again in a different uh, different way, as we're going to see later on. First Peter 1 and 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, begat us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was the living hope because when he was resurrected, we were resurrected. But that's by faith. And as we exercise faith in that promise, we receive the manifestation if we continue on in the faith. First Peter 1 and 5, who by the power of God are guarded through faith unto a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So you're guarded through your faith until you come to the salvation. You have to continue in the faith. And that person who doesn't continue in the faith, he ain't going to get what they're believing for because Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have it. And then in Matthew 10 and 22, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. So if you don't endure to the end, you ain't going to be saved. You have to endure in your faith to the end, knowing that during this process, your faith is going to be tested. First Peter 1 and 6 says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been put to grief in manifold trials. Now, the Greek there means various temptations. You're going to be tempted, folks. Your faith is going to be tested. And you have to hold fast the confession of your hope that it waver not, it says in Hebrews 10, 23. And if you do that, you'll come over to verse 9, which says, 1 Peter 1 and 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So the beginning of your faith is that born again experience in verse 3, where you receive a born again spirit. The end of your faith is the born again soul. Now, obviously, obviously, what's been put into your spirit 
has to move over into your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotion. That's where you bear the fruit, folks. You're not the good seed put into the ground until you have that initial born-again experience of a born-again spirit. Then you're the good seed, and then you have to bear fruit. Because when the harvest comes, he's going to pick nothing but the good fruit, right? Some people don't endure to the end in order to bear fruit in their soul. And, and, and this is why the falling away happens. The falling away happens because most people don't think they have to bear fruit, which is the salvation of your souls, glory to God. And with that in mind, let's go on. Let's keep on. First Peter one twenty one, who through him are believers in God that raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your soul in your obedience to the truth. Well, who was Peter speaking to there? Well, if we back up to the beginning of the letter, we find out he was speaking only to true believers. First Peter 1 and 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect who are sojourners of the dispersion. He wasn't speaking to those who were just a call, but he's speaking to the chosen, the elect, because the elect are the ones who's always going to bear fruit. Matthew 22 and 14 says, but many are called, but few chosen. And that word chosen in the Greek is eklektos. It means select by implication or favorite. So you might be called and you may have had a born again spirit, but will you have a born again soul? Will you go on to bear fruit in your mind, your will, and your emotions? And this is how you make your calling and election sure, folks. Second Peter 1 and 10, seeing ye have purified your souls. That means you have to see the end from the beginning, don't it? You? you gotta walk by faith. You have to believe it was done back at the cross. And this is what you see in your spirit. You see it as done, as already finished, okay? Hebrews 10 and 14, for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then First Peter one twenty two, seeing ye have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth. If you don't want to fall away, you got to be obeying the truth, don't you? And because if you obey the truth, you have to search it out. You have to search for that wisdom just like gold, as it says in Job 28 and Proverbs 3. Unto unfeigned love. Folks, the most important thing is love. A lot of people prove that they don't have love. And, of course, they're in danger of falling away. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, love one another from the heart fervently having been begotten again, meaning born again from above. And when you're first born again, folks, you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, but you, you don't have to. All you have to do is repent and then want the Lord to take over your life. And that word repent, which means change your mind and believe the first message you have of the gospel. That's all you got to do. But after that, as you search for the truth and obey the truth, you're going to have fruit in your soul. In other words, you'll be renewing your mind with the mind of Christ. 
And that's going to enable you to bear fruit by your faith in what you understand. God's going to give you power when you believe what you read, folks. There's some of you listening right now that go to churches. And I know you ain't getting enough word to overcome anything that you've already been indoctrinated with. You need to get this on your own by searching out the truth, glory to God. God's people will love the truth. All of the elect will love the truth, and they'll love him enough to obey it. 1 Peter 1.22, seeing ye have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Love one another from the heart fervently, having been begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides. Folks, that incorruptible seed is the word of God. And again, when you first come to the Lord, do you know the word of God? No. But this is the, the second part of being born again. That is born again in soul, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Where? Through the word of God. So you do have to seek the truth and you do have to obey what you read as the truth. You can obey the truth because you believe that you were yet were united with him in the death, burial, and resurrection, and that your sins were already taken away. Romans chapter 6 and verse 5 says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that so we should no longer be in bondage to sin. For he that hath died is justified from sin. You can obey the truth because you believe the gospel that you were made free from sin. Romans 6.22 But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto sanctification and the end eternal life. And folks, as you exercise faith in that, sin won't have power over you because you believe it's already been conquered, right? John sixteen thirty three. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. First Peter one twenty four says, For all flesh is as grass. Well, now we go through this crucifixion of the old flesh, and when you receive the word of God, you're obeying your spirit. That means you're not obeying your flesh, and it dies a little more each time you do that. You're weaning it, so to speak. The flesh is used to getting this way, but you're weaning it from you. First Peter one twenty four again, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory thereof as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower faileth, falleth, but the word of the Lord abides forever. This word, which you put in your heart, that is eternal life, says the word of the Lord abides forever. It is eternal. The grass or flesh is temporary, but this, folks, is eternal. We become the word made flesh, and what is that? That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 127. 1 Peter 1.25 says, But the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word of good tidings which was preached unto you. This is the gospel. 
not that other apostate teaching that says, just go ahead and accept Jesus. He ain't going to accept you unless you repent and believe, and that's a continual process. It's not a step over the line, one-time thing that religion would have you believe. This purifying of your soul comes from obeying the truth. And that's what James was talking about in chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted, that means inborn, innate, or rooted, word, which is able to save your soul. Well, how's that? That's through your obedience to the truth, just like we just read. Verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deluding your own selves. Many are deceived. Multitudes of what are called Christians are deceived. They don't think they have to walk in the truth. They think they can walk in the flesh, even though what Paul said real clear, like in Romans 8 and 13, if you live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Folks, there's a condition there. It's a big if. James chapter 1 verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. Now, beholding the natural face is contrary to what we're commanded to do. It says in Second Corinthians 3 and 18, it's David's favorite verse. Y'all know it all. But we all, with unveiled faith, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord in the Spirit. In other words, it's a gift from the Spirit as you continue to behold. That's the gospel, folks. You don't live anymore. Jesus lives in you. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what Paul said. And when you're looking in the mirror, you see Jesus because you accept it by faith. It's an imagination that you have to hold on to so that you can come into his image more and more from glory to glory. You see Jesus in the mirror by faith because it's already done, right? John chapter 3 and verse 13. And no one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. When you see your natural self in the mirror, or in other words, when you see your old stinking self, you're not exercising any faith there. You're not calling the things that are not as though they were. There ain't no faith involved there. So how can you grow? How can you be anything more than what you see yourself as? James 1.23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes away and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. When people begin to look at self too much, they begin to fall into denial. That's the only way they can get any peace. When you read the word, it tells you what God wants. And if you look in the mirror and say, I don't want to look like that, you're not exercising the power of faith. And you'll not overcome. You'll always be a hearer and not a doer. James 1, 
Verse 25 says, But he that looks into the perfect law, that's the law of liberty, and so continues, and that's what we've been talking about here, being not a hearer that forgets, but a doer that works, this man shall be blessed in his doing. Now, 1 John 3, verse 9, Whosoever is begotten, or born, of God does no sin. When you have a renewed soul and a born-again soul that's in the image of Jesus because you held fast to the words your spirit received from God through the word, then you're going to be an overcomer. Think about how many things that you've overcome since you came to know the Lord, things you don't even consider doing anymore. And if the devil tried to tempt you with it, you just laugh at him. God wants us to continue that all the way to the end. God wants to continue it until you have at least a 30, then a 60, and finally a hundredfold fruit. And we know that in the parable of the sower, the seed you put in is the seed of Jesus Christ, the word of God. And you have to put the word in there and you have to obey it. There's a born again man that's growing in you. He's taking ground. He's taking that promised land away from him, old Canaanite, that old sinner in the land. And he's putting to death that old sinner and taking his house and living in his house. That's what the spiritual man is doing. And if you're hearing and obeying the word of God, you're conquering this land. And the problem was that when the Israelites were going into their land, they forgot faith. They forgot what God said. Joshua and Caleb didn't forget. They kept reminding them, but they wouldn't listen. So the Israelites died in their wilderness And that should be a warning to every one of us. We're going to be tested, folks. 1 John 3 and 9 says, Whosoever is begotten of God doeth no sin because his seed abides in him. And what's the seed? That's the word of God. But know that after you receive the initial born again spirit, that you're going to be tested. Your faith will be tested. And if you give up the seed, and you accept what the devil says, guess what you're accepting? You're accepting that devil's seed. And what's that end up being there in the word? It ends up being a tear. And you don't want to give up the seed of God because it has the power to bring eternal life manifestly in your life. First John chapter 3 and verse 9 said, Whosoever is begotten of God does no sin. Because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's begotten of God. The part of you that's born of God is not going to sin because it's God in you. That's why you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that part of you ain't going to, uh, is not going to sin at all. But there are other parts of your promised land that you hadn't conquered yet. You haven't killed the old man. You haven't taken his house. You haven't raised your crops on his property and on and on. You've got to march through the whole promised land because God said that every place you put the sole of your foot, he's going to let you have it. And you already know the parts that you are born again because you're not tempted in those areas anymore. God changed you. And that wasn't an accident. You had faith. First John 3 and 10. In this, the children of God are manifest. Now, we're talking about manifestation here, and that's what we're here for, to manifest Christ. And the children of the devil, whosoever does not, righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. They're not a God. 
They're not doing what the word tells us to do if we sin. First John 1 and 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you sin, you can confess it and forsake it, and he's going to wash you clean. He will wash you of all unrighteousness, and that's part of your tool, your, the tools that he's given us along the way to stay clean before God. And if you're not going to confess your sin and you choose to justify yourself instead, then you won't be able to hold fast to your faith, and then you're going to fall away. It's a choice that we have. You can just hide your sin around the people of God and make yourself accept, acceptable to them as a deceiver, or you can confess your sin and God will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So let's believe and confess and forsake this worldly way. Choose to accept that you've purified your soul in obedience to the truth. Choose to continue to obey the truth so that you can go on to take that promised land and bear fruit in your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Choose to allow the fiery trial to burn up that old grass, which is the flesh. First Peter 2 and 1, putting away therefore all wickedness and all guile and hypocrisies. And those who preach are always going to be a sinner, saved by grace, are liars. They are anti-Christ and never even gotten a revelation of the gospel. And if you're always going to be a sinner saved by grace, then you didn't get saved by grace. Think about it. If you're always going to be a sinner, you didn't get saved by grace. Grace comes through faith, your faith in the word of God to save you from sin. God doesn't save you so you can go ahead and keep on sinning and get away with it. He came to save us from sin because we confess it and we forsake it. And we want God. These people will be known because God is more important to them than sin is. And that's the trial. The church is full of hypocrisies and guile and deception by the people. Jude 1.12 says, Who are hidden rocks in your love feast when they feast with you? Shepherds that without fear feed themselves. Clouds without water. Carried along by winds. Autumn leaves without fruit. Twice dead. Plucked up by the roots. Yeah, they're going to be shown to be twice dead and plucked up by the roots. They're full of guile and are hidden. They're deceivers who want you to believe they're somebody that they're not. And instead of confessing their sins to someone who is faithful, or at least confessing them to the Lord, they'd rather deceive themselves and delude even themselves. There's so much judgment coming out of these people. Even though we're not permitted to judge until we're complete, until we're delivered from sin. First Peter 2, 2 and verse 1. Putting away therefore all wickedness and all guile and hypocrisy and envies and all evil speaking. As newborn babes long for the spiritual milk which is without guile, that you may grow thereby unto salvation. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Well, in John four thirty four, he said, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to accomplish his work. 
That's true for all of us. Our meat is to do the will of him that sends us. Our meat is to be a doer of the word. How are we going to grow up only on milk? When Jesus was teaching the multitudes, he protested to them in Luke 6 and 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Folks, we're growing into the manifestation of our salvation. Listen, the manifestation is what you're looking for when you go out into the field and pick the fruit. And you might believe that the seed is going to bring forth wonderful fruit, but you're not going to go out there to pick it until it's above the ground and you can see it. That's what we're here for. The earth is the field and we're here to bear fruit. But some people say you don't bear fruit until you go to heaven. Well, they ain't going to heaven because the fruit comes out of the earth. Fruit is attached to the earth before you pick it. Salvation is something that is in Jesus Christ, says in Acts 4 and 12. If you abide in him, you have it, John 15, 5. If you don't abide in him, you don't have it. It's not something magical that happened to you when you first accepted Jesus. The test comes after to find out if you're just called or whether you're called and chosen, Matthew 22 and 14. First Peter 2 and 3 says, If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, verse 4, unto whom coming a living stone rejected indeed of men. If you don't want to be rejected of men, you're going to have, you're going to do whatever it takes to make them happy. But folks, it's more important to make God happy because he has eternal life for you. But with God elect precious, you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. When a priest offered sacrifice, what they offered? They offered flesh. They offered burnt flesh acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you're in the fiery trial, you're making a decision. Do you want more of Jesus? Or do you want more of the flesh? If you obey the flesh, you get more of the flesh. If you obey Jesus, the flesh is crucified because it don't get what it wants. It's on the altar of fire and it's burnt up. And that's how you get more of Jesus and bear more fruit. In the trial, which he said you're going to go through, you decide to obey the word, even though you can feel that old flesh drawing on you and the devil beyond that. He's got his rope around the old flesh pulling against you. And you can feel it every time you're tested or tempted to do something other than obey the word of God. The word puts you on your cross. And if you don't obey, you're not on the cross. And if you don't take up the cross and follow Jesus, you're not his disciple. And that means a learner and a follower. First Peter 2 and 6 says, because it is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be put to shame. Well, how can you prove that you believe on him? Well, the Bible says in James chapter 2 and verse 26, even so faith apart from works is dead. Folks, if you believe, if you have faith, you're going to act on your faith. But there's going to be a lot of people out there that's going to be put to shame. 7, verse 7. For you therefore that believe is preciousness before such as disbelieve. And it's going to be proven in the, in the middle of the trial whether or not you believe. 
the stone which the builders rejected. And you might say, I never rejected Jesus. But if you don't obey, obey him in the midst of the trial, then you're not believing on him. You've rejected the stone which the builders rejected. Just like those early people did and you're ashamed right there. You're rejected. First Peter 2, 7 says, But you therefore that believe is the preciousness. But for such as disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, the same was made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. It's, folks, it's always the disobedient who stumble and fall away. They're disobedient because they're not believing what the word of God says. They've made up a convenient doctrine so that they can live in the flesh and still go to heaven. Even people who know better, they can fall into that trap when they stumble on the rock of offense, when they stumble over the word of God. The word comes to prove, to test you. The word comes to empower you with faith and deliver you like a two-edged sword. It's going to cut away that which is fleshly and demonic. Second Corinthians 7 and 1 says, Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. First Peter 2 and 9, But ye are an elect race, a royal priesthood, and a holy notion. Paul's trying to convince them after he just finished giving them the condition here. A people for God's own possession that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're called out of darkness to come into the light of the word, the wisdom of God. And that darkness is the darkness of your unregenerated soul that's not born unto God. You see parts of your soul are born unto God because you're obedient to God there. You're not even tempted anymore in those areas. But there are parts of your soul where you're not obedient to God. Those places are where your promised land hasn't been taken away from the carnal man of the land, the Canaanite. He has to be put to death in order for you to take that land 30, 60, and 100 fold. And the grace of God gives us the opportunity to do that. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God. How you become the people of God? Well, when you're born again, it's God himself who lives in you. And the part of you that obeys God is his kingdom. That's where he rules. But the part of you that doesn't obey him, that's not his kingdom because he don't rule there. And the more you obey the more and more of you comes into the kingdom of God. First Peter 2.10, who in time past were no people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God, folks, is so good. We thank you, Lord, for your mighty blessings upon us. First Peter 4 and 1 says, for as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, well, if you're being crucified, an old man's being put to death is painful. It's painful to give up the things that you have to give up in order to have Christ. But what, as the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, 
Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. If you don't let your outer man decay, the inner man is not renewed because they both occupy the same territory. Somebody got to be losing the territory and somebody's got to be taking the territory. If you're not putting to death the old man in the land, you're not taking the territory. Remember what the Israelites were told. Take up your swords and go take your promised land and that God would be with them. Every place they put the sole of their foot, God's going to give it to them. They were to take out the enemy everywhere they went. And God said, don't appease them, kill them. And that's a type of shadow how your old man, your old life has to die. It cannot be reformed. First Peter 4 and 1 says, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm ye yourselves also with the same mind. You see, it's a good thing to suffer in the flesh, isn't it? When you deny yourself, when you take up your cross and follow Jesus, you are going to suffer in the flesh. A cross is a cross. Your cross is obedience. Jesus obediently went to his cross, and he even said that it was for this reason he came into the world. But the disciples, all of them, tried to talk him out of going to his cross. Well, we can see the parable there now. And, of course, there's a lot of people out there who try to talk you out of going to your cross. But Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And we ought to say the same thing. Glory to God. First Peter 4 and 1 says, For as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm ye yourselves also with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, what you do is you consider suffering in the flesh to be ceasing from sin. And if you don't cease from sin, that means sin is going to rule you. And if sin rules you, you're going to fall away. Verse 2, that you no longer should live the rest of your time in the flesh. Where is that? In heaven? No, on earth, because there's no flesh in heaven, right? To the lust of men, but to the will of God. If you're questioning, is that really possible? Do you mean all these preachers lied to me about how I just have to accept my forgiveness and go on sinning? You need to read that verse again, folks. That you no longer should live the rest of your time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. And how do you do that? You do that by suffering in the flesh. Glory to God. And you have to say no to your flesh. And you can do that since the cross because your old flesh was crucified there, right? Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ living in me, and that life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the in faith, the faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus has delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, Colossians 1 and 13. You don't have to serve your flesh anymore. But if you believe you have to serve it, then you do. What did Jesus tell those two blind men as he was healing them? Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done unto you, Matthew nine forty nine. What happened when the centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant? And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee, Matthew eight thirteen. And the servant was healed in that hour. 
And if you believe you're going to be a sinner for the rest of your life, you're going to be a sinner for the rest of your life. But you ain't going to heaven because you're not going to bear any fruit that way. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe. Romans 1 and 16. 1 Peter 4 and 3. For the time past may suffice to have wrought the desire of the Gentile. In other words, he's saying, yeah, you got away with it for a while. And to have walked in lasciviousness, lust, wine-bibbings, revelings, carousings, carousings, I mean, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them into the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. And they think it strange that you don't run with them into the same excesses. Well, if you humble yourself to them, and if you're really interested in impressing them, of course, you're going to get into the same thing they're into, and you're going to take, you're going to lose your salvation if you do it. And some people teach that you won't lose your salvation. But we're seeing how ridiculous that is. The elect are not going to lose their salvation, but many of the called will. The elect are the chosen because they bear fruit. And those people running in the excess of riot, don't understand that they will eventually have to answer to God. First Peter 4 and 5, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the living and the dead? The Lord's going to judge the living and the dead. And if you continue on in your righteous living, doing everything the way you want to do it, and not putting to death the sin, you're going to fall away. You can't go to heaven because you'd ruin it. Folks, and that's just the truth. As the old boy said. First Peter 4, 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Yeah, God uses the wicked to judge the house of God. And then God judges the wicked. That's his method. Because somebody has to put you on the cross, right? The apostate people of God and the Romans, these put Jesus on the cross. And you need to walk in the judgment of God. That old flesh has to die. And you need to suffer the loss of self because self can't go to heaven. Self, which is synonymous with soul in the scripture, ain't going to heaven. It has to die here. Every seed that goes into the ground is put to death by the dirt around that seed. But then what happens? Life comes out, starts bearing fruit. There has to be a death before a life. So this judgment begins at the house of God because you have to have time to bear fruit before your time is up. That's why it's called a race. Therefore, let us also, seeing we are accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 and 1 through 2. You're racing against the clock to bear fruit before your time is up here on earth. 1 Peter 4, 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begin first in us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? 
And if the righteous is scarcely saved, that means only with difficulty and very rarely. Where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? If you're going to be a sinner for the rest of your life, it don't look good there, does it? How about the righteous? Well, the righteous are doing a whole lot better. There's not as many of them because they're scarcely saved, it says. But there's a lot of sinners. And you're either in one camp or the other. First Peter 4, 19. Wherefore, let them also that suffer according to the will of God commit their souls in well-doing unto a faithful creator. God's trying to create your soul into the image of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Well, we just discovered that it happens through your obedience to the truth. And the reason you can obey the truth is because you got faith. You have faith and you're going to have obedience because of James 2 and 17. It says, faith, if it hath not works, is dead in itself. Yea, a man will say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith apart from thy works and I by my works will show thee my faith. And Second Peter 1 and 1, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained a like precious faith with us in the righteousness of our God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How sad that so many people don't have time to search the scriptures, don't make time to get the New Testament down in their heart. There are too many other things that distract them. But call to mind how the seed was destroyed in the parable of the sower. The distractions of life is why those who heard did not continue on and bear fruit. Second Peter 1 and 2 says, Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, Seeing, that means seeing by faith, that his divine power hath granted that's past tense, meaning it's already been done. He's already given you this. Unto us all things that pertain unto life. That word means life, both of physical and of spiritual. Strong goes on to say this. It always only comes from and is sustained by God's self-existent life. The Lord intimately shares his gift of life with people creating each in his image which gives all the capacity to know his eternal life. That's God's life. It's not your old soulish life, which is suke. Zoe is the higher life that you get when you give up the suke, the lower life, the self-life. He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness, and he did that at the cross. You can have grace, and you can have peace multiplied to you when you believe that. And when you apply it in your life, Second Peter 1 and 3 says, Seeing that his divine power hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue. Folks, you have to know what God has given to you, and then you have to exercise faith in it. You got to have faith in God, and God will rise up in you to do the work. And thank God it's by faith and not by our own self-effort, glory to God. Second Peter 1 and 4, whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature. 
If you're going to live a godly life, you need this divine nature and the promises are what give you that divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. Folks, you have to escape the corruption that is in the world by lust or you're going to have a falling away. Because God don't want this in heaven. That Greek word, which is translated as lust, means simply desire, eagerness for, inordinate desire. The lusts are those desires of the flesh. And the Bible says in Romans 8 and 13, for if you live after the flesh, you must die. That's falling away right there. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, those are the acts of the flesh, you shall live. So you need to put the promises into our hearts in order to partake of the divine nature so that the corruption doesn't overcome us. Otherwise, you're going to fall away. And God instructed Moses in Exodus 16 and 4, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. And Jesus told us that he was that manna that came down of heaven, wasn't he? For you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion for every day that I may prove them. So God was testing them to see if they would be obedient to him and get their daily portion of manna. Whether they will walk in my law or not. People like to belittle the necessity of spending time in the Word every day, but that's exactly what God expects you to do. He expects you to be obedient and to eat the Word daily, just like they gathered and ate the manna in the wilderness daily. You're being proven. Your obedience is being tested. And you can go to a party. You can even go party with a lot of Christians. And you can go live after all the lusts of the flesh, but that ain't why you're here. You're here to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Christ. Second Peter 1 and 5. Yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith. Well, you're diligent in your faith because you can't add anything to it, can you? You can't be diligent in any of the attributes that he's getting ready to mention here. You have to use the faith that God's given you. And if you haven't been given faith, you ain't saved. Because inside faith are all these other attributes, which are all given to you because of your faith. A lot of the other, uh, there's some of the Bible translations that has adding to, adding to, adding to, but that ain't correct. According to the original language and the numeric pattern. Second Peter 1 and 5, yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, comma, supply virtue, and in your virtue, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. A lot of people out there don't believe in self-control. They think that they can't be controlled, and if you don't feed your spiritual man, that's true, because he's not going to be able to control you. And in your self-control, patience. He wants patience to have his perfect work, don't he? James 1 and 4, and let patience have his perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. Second Peter 1 and 5 again, yea, and for this very cause, adding on your part all diligence in your faith, supply virtue, and in your virtue, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, patience, and in your patience, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. God wants love from his people, love for one another. 
But if you ain't got that, you're not going to make it to heaven. For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful. Of course not, because this is the fruit, the fruit of God. Unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, knowledge begets knowledge. It started out with knowledge. If you exercise faith in the promises of God, you receive of his divine nature. And so because you believe that you were crucified with Christ, because you believe that your old man was put to death when you were buried in baptism as an act of faith, then the old man is dead. And the one who came up from the water is Jesus, not you. Praise God. John 12 and 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abides by itself alone. But if it die, it bears much fruit. If the seed is the word of Jesus, what's the fruit? It's the fruit of Jesus. It's not gaining soul, it's gaining your own soul. And if you gain your own soul, you'll be able to be useful in gaining other souls. But you can't give away what you don't have, right? First Peter 1 and 8 says, For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacks these things is blind. He's blind because he doesn't see correctly. He sees only his natural face in the mirror. He doesn't look in there and see Jesus. He doesn't behold in the mirror the glory of the Lord, like it says in Second Corinthians 3 and 18. First Peter 1 and 8 says, For if these things are yours and abound, they make you to be not idle nor unfruitful unto the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he that lacks these things is blind, seeing only what is near. And that's just his own ugly old face, right? Having forgotten the cleansing from his old sins. Have you forgotten that you were cleansed of your sins? Just like Jesus bore your sicknesses. You have to believe your sins were born by Jesus also. First Peter 2.24 and Isaiah 53 and 5. You don't have a problem with sin. You have a problem with unbelief. The problem with sin has been dealt with. So your problem now is unbelief. But if we want the grace of God, we have to walk by faith. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, Before, By grace have you been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works that no man should glory. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. This recreation of your soul into the image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory is happening as you walk by faith. I hope you didn't forget that your sins were taken away. Why are you lending your body to sin. You're going to die. You're going to fall away. Three out of four do, according to the parables of the sower. Don't forget you were cleansed from your old sins. Does that mean that you could continue to walk in them? No, because when you walk by faith, you're cleansed of them. You're not going to give yourself over to them since God is going to give you grace. By grace have you been saved through faith. 1 Peter 1 and 10 says, Wherefore, brother, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. The word calling means invitation. In the New Testament, always of a divine call. And that word for election means a choosing out, selecting, a choice by God. So since you were born again in your spirit, 
you now have a divine invitation from God who saved us and called us. But you have to notice that you also have to make certain you'll be among those whom God chooses because that calling means an invitation to partake of everything that Christ is. And what happened in the parable of the banquet when the king's servant went out and called people to the marriage feast? Matthew 22 and 11. But when the king came in to behold the guests, he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the servant, Bind him hand and foot, cast him out into the outer darkness. There shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few chosen. The wedding garments, folks, is your works of righteousness. Revelation 19 and 8. Romans 13 and 14 said, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on Jesus, folks. Put on your wedding garment to make your calling and election sure. First Peter 1 and 10 again. Wherefore, brethren, give the more dinners to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never stumble. And which you can say it another way. You ain't never going to fall away. For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance. And you might be thinking, whoa, I thought I entered way back there when I was baptized. Well, as you do these things, you are progressively entering into the eternal kingdom because you're progressively taking more of your promised land, which is where God rules. That's how you enter into the kingdom, folks. First Peter 1 and 11, For thus shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The preachers out there have lied to us about this. As many of them think that they had, they entered the eternal kingdom when they shook the preacher's hand who told them that's all you need to do. Now just go sit down over there and put money in the box when it comes by and get ready for the rapture. But folks, they lied and they don't know what they're talking about. They have not been a partaker in bearing this fruit because they didn't read the word of God. They just accepted what their dead religion told them and passed it on to you. And the Bible calls it leaven. And I'll end with this, Matthew 16 and 6. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, I'm out of time. God bless you. And we'll see you next time, God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh, Jesus I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh, Jesus, I trust in
Jesus, I trust in. 